Coaches, welcome to episode 90 of the Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, this is a treat of mine. Um, my first podcast, I'm bringing Coach Pete Aycock back. I'm so excited. He's also going to be honored at the uh, Legends Clinic coming up here at Lake Oconee Academy. Uh, Coach Pete Aycock is our Legends Clinic honoree for 2019. Pete coached for 23 seasons as a head coach, combined 460 wins. Pete was the Appling County boys basketball coach for three region titles, three Coach of the Year awards, a record of 143 and 22. At Monticello High School in Mississippi, he had four district titles, three Southern Mississippi titles with 180 wins. Coach Acock coached at Cathedral Academy in Atlanta, Georgia with a record of 108 and 29. He had three region titles. He was a head men's basketball coach at Drone Junior College, earning a state title. Also, he had the state scoring championship and state JUCO coach of the year. Coach Acock was one that helped me start the Legends Clinic back in 2016 uh, with also a friend of mine, Coach Lynn West. Uh, one thing you're going to hear is a lot of great stories from uh, Coach Pete. He's been around the game a long time. He's um, completely passionate about the game, and he knows what the right way to play is. And you're going to really enjoy the lessons learned from Coach Pete Acock. Coach Pete, welcome. You there? Hey, Coach. Hey. Hey. Not a problem at all. Hey, just continue on. I know you're – Okay. Uh, you're. Yeah, go, go ahead and continue on. You were talking about the clinic uh, you just went to. Right. But uh, like I said, I've been to a lot of clinics, and I was one of the speakers for three consecutive years, and I was there. I want to tell you, every year it seems like the clinic gets better and better and better. And uh, it's solid gold. Anybody should have knowledge that's there. It'd uh, be a shame for you to miss it. Uh, I'm not even coaching anymore, and I won't miss one. I can promise you I'll be at every one of them. So anyway, and also Kevin's got about 100 people on his podcast now, so my gosh, all you got to do is dial it up and, and listen. But anyway, um, again, I coached for about 26 years. But when I committed to certain things in my program, my program took off. I uh, became a coach, uh, kind of uh, unusual. It was almost like it was the hand of the Lord that guided me into coaching. I won't go down that road. But when I committed to pressure man-to-man defense, everything changed. It just changed. And what I mean by that, I won't say slowly, but on a 45-degree angle, it got better and better because when you – play pressure man defense and you have certain rules like no free dribbles uh every pass must be contested every pass must try to force people back door and when you do that think about what happens in practice every single thing in practice has to be executed under pressure every pass every dribble every shot is fully contested now a lot of times people say well you know, my kids aren't athletic enough to play. It doesn't matter. Practice that way anyway. You can always put in a 2-3 zone or a 1-2-2, two, two, whatever zone you want. And as your kids get better playing man-to-man, Kevin, their zone is going to be outstanding. And I don't think your zone's ever going to be any better than your man-to-man, to be honest with you. But when we did that, 
everything changed. And we had some rules where we promised the kids that if uh, you put on the uniform, you're going to play at least two quarters every night. Whether B team or on varsity, you're going to play two quarters. And because you substitute a lot, that happens. And your kids get better and better. And uh, we just made a big jump because we required them to have vicious, vicious hands. And these are things we demanded out of them. We made them straddle that inside leg and not reach, but get a touch on the ball. And uh, one of the things that we use, because I think you and I have talked about this a lot, Kevin, about these capsule phrases that you use to teach, and it cuts your teaching time in half, uh, with these phrases you use. But one of them was just, it sounds crazy, but it's don't let them touch you. When you're guarding somebody, it's your responsibility not to allow them to touch you but be close enough to touch. And that keeps that constant pressure. And when somebody uh, does a blow by on you, one of the things we, we taught that helped us so much was get away from him, create some distance, create about six feet and sprint, then turn and, 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 and uh, it allows you to pick him back up again without fouling. But it's so important not to foul when you're playing pressure man defense because fouling, negates your hustle. It's like taking a doggone pencil and erasing the good work that you've done. But once we made that commitment to man to man and we stayed with it, stayed with it, we killed the dribble so many times. And of course, you know, you teach it when that dribble goes dead, everybody runs toward the ball and denies the pass. Just that simple. Force everything back door. And again, what happens, it goes back to this, I guess, is that when you play like this, you have to get better or quit. <laughs> There's no room for anything else. And again, you don't have to play like this, but what we always told them, we started out playing like this and practice and working like this and say and tell them, you have to earn the right to play man-to-man. You have to earn it. And uh, until you get to a place where you can play it well enough, we're going to play zone. And I remember one night we had made a full commitment to man-to-man, and uh, we were down 12, came to the dressing room. And I said, guys, look, we're going to have to go zone. Y'all think you're playing hard, but you're not. You think you're playing good, man, but you're not. We're going to have to go zone. And, boy, it got dead silent. And this kid, Johnny Clyde Bridges, spoke up. He said, Coach, please. I mean, he said, please, please don't make us play zone. We've committed to man to man. I said, well, Johnny, nobody's playing, man. They're playing like we're playing a doggone zone. He says, just give us one more chance. And I said, all right, Johnny, we'll do that. Now, that sounds like a simple thing, but I want to tell you, our whole team changed from that time on. They went from playing uh, almost hard man-to-man defense to playing vicious defense. And it's just something that, that happened for us. And, and we stayed with it, we stuck with it, and we just got better and better. And the other thing, once you committed to, is the power, what I call a power-fast break. And that's the numbered break. I don't know why, but you can sit around and talk to people about the numbered break. There's a few people that understand it, but not many. Not many. They think they understand it, but they don't. But what the power break does, it's uh, – now, I ran the normal uh, numbered break for a long, long time. And I changed it kind of to a power break because you want to get your – where the emphasis is not on your wing players, but it's on, uh, it's on your bigs, getting your bigs to run. And uh, it's, it's hard to do. 
But when we did that, it gave us floor balance. We always have floor balance when we come down the floor. And getting the ball inbounds, never letting the ball hit the floor, getting it inbound to your point guard as fast as possible. Um, it just does something to the other team. It keeps them from pressing you. And uh, they're, they're thinking about getting back. We used to get the ball inbound so fast that at Georgia Tech Coliseum, we scored four baskets in one of the state tournament games uh, off made foul shots. So, I mean, it can be done, and it's, it's just how you practice it. And you have to master these things. It's a great way to play. And, again, you can always slow kids down if necessary, but you can't speed them if they don't know how to play that way. Are you still there, Kevin? I am, Coach. Yeah, I love it. I'm uh, talking you to death, but look, you stop me when you have a question and want me to answer something else, okay? Yeah, hey, hey, this is all – hey, I, we we want you to share, Coach, you know that. Um, I, I tell you what I – and, I, of course, you know, we talk all the time, so uh, this is all hat for, for us. But uh, a lot of the listeners, I think what they need to get out of that is be committed to something. Now, yours was man-to-man. Yours was fast break. You have to have an identity, right, Coach? Yes, you do. And we had that identity. I mean, everywhere we went, we we had several teams that averaged 90 points a game, and we always – the teams that didn't average 90 averaged in the 80s, you know. And it was all – most of it was off defense. And it was the Loyola Marymount system, but with the, the emphasis was on defense more so than the offense. Uh, we ran the, the break every single time down the floor wide open. And uh, it was intimidating now. But, no, you, if you don't have total commitment, you're going to always be wondering. You're always going to be one of those coaches, you're changing this and you're changing that. You know, and you're wondering about this and wondering about that. But just like with us, we played full court man, but there were times when we would play – full court pressure man, and when the ball got to the hash mark, we'd melt into a 1-3-1. And a lot of times we'd do this. We would play full court man-to-man defense after maids. Then after misses, we would get back in a 1-3-1 because, you know, 1-3-1 is the best thing there is to slowing down somebody that runs. And we wanted to be able to slow down another team that ran as well as we did. We'd get in a 1-3-1, and then uh, we might – go back into a quarter court one, three, one as well. But we found out that that worked for us really well. And you could just, uh, you know, go to a half court one, two, two, whatever suits you. But uh, I think it gives them a different look, you know, and you get to trap there on the side a few times and slow them down, make them think a little bit. But I think it's the, it's the constant pressure that comes from defense being guarded full court, no free dribbles and no touch. Uh, those are the simple things that I think matter the absolute most. And uh, I, and what I'll tell you something else, when you play man-to-man in practice, uh, guess what? Your ball handling just gets better and better and better. Now, ball handling drills are important. I do them. I've done them all my life. But the, the ball handling does not improve until you put those people under pressure every day and one of the things it does is you've got let's say you got 12 players man you take those young kids 
and just tell them to go get those varsity players, man. Tell them, tell the varsity players, I'm not calling many fouls unless they knock you down. We're probably not going to blow the whistle. And man, you learn how to handle that pressure and learn how to handle fouling. And uh, it gets a little testy sometimes, but if you keep those rules simple, make every pass go back door, pressure every dribble, don't touch, don't touch, stay down, low man wins, those things like that, they make a big, big difference. We uh, used to do a lot of what I call ball strong drills where we'll double team somebody with the ball and see if the two people can take it from the one. And it would get ugly sometimes, but you just got to do things like that and it gets rid of casual. You know, casual is a great killer in basketball. It's where that pause comes in. You'll see the ball is shot and the ball goes up and you'll look at the kids there and everybody's standing still. Only a couple people go after the ball. Everybody has paused. You got to have everybody run into the ball. I think I've told you, I know I've told you this. If I had to go back in coaching today, the first thing I would do with my assistant coach, now I don't know if you know this, you've been really fortunate this year. You got a blessing from the good Lord himself, that assistant coach. I'm telling you, I told Kevin, I said, you need to hire yourself a rebounding coach. Just let them coach nothing. But don't we all know that if you win that rebounding battle pretty much every game and you don't turn it over but about 10, 12 times, you're going to win the basketball game. And uh, it's so hard to get an assistant coach. I know the years I coached because you practice so long and you practice so late, but you can take a assistant football coach, a young assistant football coach that doesn't know one thing about basketball. And that's usually who you get and just teach him what you want him to teach about rebounding. And they're aggressive people with the right mindset because rebounding is nothing but a fight. That's all it is. And uh, you got rules and regulations. You get thrown out of the game, but you don't throw any elbows. But you do the Barkley thing. You, you teach a wide bottom, wide top, triangle hands, kind of in front of the face, above the forehead. Remember Bill Walton? He always kept his elbows out and up, out and up. He couldn't jump over the phone book anyway, but he, he, he knew how to use his body. And if you watch when that goes up, if, see, that's that forearm. Uh, Gene Durden teaches the forearm. He says it's the greatest tool there is in basketball, and I believe that it probably is. But you've got to teach rebounding and you've got to teach offensive rebounding. You know, Coach Hicks now was at the clinic teaching. He ran the Loyola Marymount system for years and years and years. Didn't he say one year, Kevin, that he averaged like 111 points a game? Yeah, he was, I think he led the nation, I think. I think he did. And, uh, man, you got to do that. And I don't know, from just talking to people, he doesn't have really big kids or really special athletes or anything like that. Um, but somehow they, they got it done. But he, he made a statement that I, that I just have never always emphasized rebounding, but he says, you got to teach offensive rebound, just like you do de defensive rebounding. Because most of us know that most close games, aren't they won by offensive stickbacks? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, offensive rebound. Well, I know at the girls' level, offensive rebounding wins. It does. It, it does. I mean, offensive rebounding wins. You you can have a kind of poor perimeter players. If you can dominate that board and get some offensive, offensive stickbacks, it changes everything. It's a, it's a morale killer almost. 
it, it makes the coaches kind of go crazy a little bit. But, you know, we put that in and we, uh, we, we made commitments to being great at man-to-man defense and being great at rebounding. And understanding, uh, Charles Barkley says, there is no secret to rebounding. There are no rules. There's no regulations. He says, you just go get the ball. And there's a lot of truth to that. And, and I, I knew this a long time ago, but I heard him the other day say, look, the ball's going to rebound to the opposite side 75% of the time. And he said, duh, just get to the offside. And many years ago, I had a manager that all he did during practice, every time the ball was shot, he would yell, offside rebound, offside rebound. And I think it made all the difference in the world. And the other thing I think you, you do, too, and make a commitment to is you just tell those kids the five best defenders are going to start. And I'm telling you now, if, you, if you'll stick to that, uh, that's quite a commitment, and it gets their attention. And that doesn't mean that the big guys can't start now. It means that rebounding is the best part of defense. The absolute best part of the defensive game is you got to finish the defense. And if you don't get the rebound, I finally started making my players. We just, when everybody in practice had to run toward the ball and be in the paint when the rebound was captured, you had to have be in the paint. And I I did it early. I'd make them go touch the rebounder before the season started. But it's just getting them going to the ball. That's why if you've got a rebounding coach, you can get rid of your gazers. Those are the ones that, you know, they stand there and watch the ball come off the rim. If it comes to them, fine. If it doesn't, that's okay. Well, if you've got a rebounding coach, he's a football coach, he can be out there getting their face saying, hey, look, we don't have any gazers around here. Go to the ball. Keep score. Now, another thing that, uh, that we committed to, and I think it's the – I really do believe this, that – the four-on-four-on-four, what I call chaos. And, you know, Kevin, the other day, who was that guy from – was it Mater D? Yeah, Kevin Kiernan, yeah. Yeah, the guy from – from he. because I talk to people about running, you know, using chaos all the time in practice. But everybody, yeah, we've done it a few times. It's no big deal. I think it's the greatest teacher there is. The greatest teacher there is. It's four-on-four-on-four, and it uses the whole team. And you get to practice your fast break. You get to practice the press. You get to practice your press breaker. And everybody's involved. But you've got to keep score. And you've got to keep rebounds. And you've got to keep deflections and steals, just like in a game. And if you've got enough people to do that, the kids love it. And, boy, it is a gasser now. And I think most of y'all know what it is. You've got uh, – you put four guys across the half-court line that are a team with a point guard to – two perimeter players and a, and a post player. And you've got a team on either end. And the team with the ball in the, at half court, they just go down and attack and go four on four against uh, the team that's down there. And then if you make a shot, the team down there has to inbound the ball and head the other way with it. And the team that just shot the ball, they're into their press. If you run a diamond press or whatever you run, or man-to-man, uh, they jump on their press, try to steal the ball. And you have to force the other kids on the other end to stay inside the three-point line because they'll meet them at the half-court line if you don't. And uh, But you're having to break that press there, four on four each time. And it's just – and the pressure is on every pass. The pressure is on every shot, every rebound. 
and you just go four on four on four on four. And it's chaos. And the reason most coaches don't like it is because it's chaotic. <laughs> it really is. But once you use it for a while and use it every day for about 10, 15 minutes, the kids really catch on to it. But it, it exposes them to extreme pressure. And, but yet it's organized chaos. And if your kids can't play under chaos, you're going to get beat when it gets championship time because they're going to be put under chaos. Uh, you know it and I know it, but I would just recommend to anybody. I'm telling you the things that if I had to go back and do it, I would still continue to do these things. And so you can go into a gym in the summertime and play three on three on three or four on four on four, full court. And, uh, man, it, it works your defense. It works your offense. It works your ball handling. It works your passing. It works your rebounding. And you're keeping score. And kids love it when you keep score. Now, look, I know I'm going on and on. Do you want me to change gears? Ah, I love it. I love it, Coach. Um, <clears throat> I want you to, um, I want you to add on to this, and I, I know you you still want to coach. Kind of tell the audience right now, um, you still got an eagerness and desire to get out there and coach again, correct? Oh, I do. It's the thing that I was uh, called into. You know, I was going to uh, into. Uh, I was already ready to go in the army, already taking the physical and everything, came home to watch my brother practice basketball at Christmas time. He was a great athlete and straight A student, you know, so to speak. And um, I just went to watch him practice and the coach there asked me if I wanted to help him coach basketball. And I said, I'm going to be going in the army January the 3rd. He said, I didn't ask you that. <laughs> and we, I got to know him because I went to three practices and on the third practice, he asked me again, would I do that? And I says, I don't see how it's possible. He said, you leave that to me. January the 3rd, I was in the classroom teaching class and being his assistant coach. And it's the thing I'm called back to. And I'd like to take the last uh, part of uh, my career and just devote it to basketball because it's the thing I love the most. There's no question about it. It's like uh, I told you, Kevin, many times, if somebody offered me a basketball job, I would probably take it, but I shouldn't. <laughs> but I would because <laughs> I sure do miss it. And I, I really appreciate getting to hang on on y'all's court and watch y'all play so anyway that's kind of how i got into it and uh, maybe i'll get back into it and maybe i won't but i do know a little bit about it but i do know this fierce defense wins that's what i know and rebounding huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide huddle offers a complete performance platform including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Wins. And if a guy doesn't get back on defense, you better leave him on the bench because he will hurt your feelings when it hurts the most. But anyway, any other direction you want me to go, I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I can cover. Kevin? Hey, Pete. Kevin? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, we went dead there for a minute. Yeah, That's okay. Yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll edit that out, Coach. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, no problem. 
Hey, um, hey, tell me about what you're seeing. I, I know um, you watch a lot of our games and so forth. What are you seeing? What do you see from the coaches nowadays and so forth? Um, and what are some things that if you did get a new position, you already mentioned it, but um, are the players different than when you coached before or kids are still the same? Maybe 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 their parents are different. What how, Compare like when you coach and the kids now. I think there's – I think it's, it's – uh, both and I think they are different, but yet in the same way they're not. Uh, I think the kids want the same thing. I think they want you to demand the absolute best out of them, but they can't give it by themselves, you know, but parents really kind of get in the way. I remember the last, when I coached at my homeschool the last time, my gosh, if you, you had a problem with a kid and the parent came to see you about it, when you got, through talking about the problem, the parent's going to look the kid right in the eye and say, son, you're going to do exactly what coach tells you to do. Understand? Yes, sir. And then the parent would leave, and that was it. But it doesn't work that way now. You've uh, you got to put up a little, little stuff on the outside, but the main thing is just don't focus on it. Just have a great practice plan that the kids uh, understand that's going to get the best out of them. It's going to make every part of their game uh, better and better. And uh, I know my kids, we've had a lot of reunions. Everywhere I've coached, we've had a reunion here the last few years. And it's amazing how they never talk about the games, Coach. They talk about the crazy things that happen in practice. And um, just laugh about it and carry on about it. And and I, I just think that that's why coaches are the last of the Cowboys, Kevin. And, you know, you know, or maybe... Like I say, coach is the one that makes you look at what you don't want to look at and makes you do what you don't want to do so you can become what you want to become, something along those lines. And and the kids love people like that. They love you when you bring the – when you empower them, when you bring the absolute best out of them. And that's why things like uh, no no walking in the, on the courts. You know, people think, oh, that's a small thing. No, it's not. Having That's an absolute rule, no walking on the court. Another thing that I was talking to my daughter about tonight, I've got an 11-year, uh, nine-year-old grandson. And I said, hon, it's just like when you coach him. The moment the coach speaks, everybody else stops talking. It's just that simple. And they come to him. And then they look him in the eye. I don't know if y'all noticed it here lately. Kids, it's not many of them will look you in the eye. They have a hard time doing it. But that's something that you teach them that goes with them the rest of their life. And another thing is, uh, you know, Rick Tomlin, the great football coach, that's my cousin. Uh, he thinks that shaking hands with a kid and looking him in the eye and smiling at him every single time you see one of them in school is a critical thing. And hmm. guess what? I do too. I do too. I think it builds a bond. And the other thing, it's a little thing, but it's a big deal. And always checking on them, always knowing you got to provide, pro- provide for them, protect them, uh, nourish them and affirm them. See, everybody else can say they're a great player, but they want to hear it from the coach because they won't believe it unless the coach says it to them. And, and that, that's so, so important. And so many times we just forget those things because we think they're little things. And the other thing is the people that you eat with the most 
or the people you're going to be closest to. That's why every time you get an opportunity to share a meal or ice cream, little ice cream, anything like that, it just builds the relationships that are so critical. My wife has cooked so many meals for my players over the year. That's all they talk about. Last time we had a reunion, that's what they talked about was, man, the meals that Miss Acock cooked for us. <laughs> I still remember it, Pete. Man, I tell you, uh, Nikki and I went over there, man. We, I mean, that, was, that was a great meal. It was one of, one of my favorites. Yeah, well, it's, 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 you know, coaching, if you really get down to the bottom line, it's not worth it, and you shouldn't do it unless you're called to do it. I never encourage anybody to get into coaching. Because, number one, you better have a great wife with tough skin, man. I'm telling you, they got to be wise, and they got to be a different kind of person. Um, because it requires so much out of you. And unless you get to the top level, I was a principal most of the time when I was coaching, so I made pretty good money. But, you know, the part they, they pay you in basketball, some of the coaches now, they don't get $2,000 if they're lucky to coach. Now, some of them the schools get better. But it's just amazing how little they will pay you. It is. And the hours you spend are just incredible. But it's just something I, – I, I hate to call it a disease. It's not a disease, but it's pretty close, though, isn't it? Because it kind of dominates your mind. I know even at my age, I said I got my little old board here. And when I'm watching TV, I'm looking for another little thing to add to the fast break, you know. And um, so I just do it all the time. But I, I know this. you got to keep it simple. And the thing is this. It's not how much you know about basketball. It's, it's what you emphasize and if you know how to teach it. See, it's, it's one thing to know about a, a system or to know about a, how to teach man-to-man -man defense or a, a certain zone press. Wow, wasn't that guy good on that zone press, your buddy from Missouri? Yeah, yeah, no doubt, yeah. Coach, I'm going to tell you something. I've never seen anybody show me any kind of defense that I wanted to run except, you know, over a man-to-man, -man. except when I watched that guy get through teaching at the clinic this past week. I said, man, I, if I get a chance, I'm going to run that. <laughs> I, uh, that was impressive now. And you know what he did? He showed you the backbone of it, didn't he? And he showed you the, the little drill. They weren't complicated, but he showed you the little drills for every part of that defense. And one of the, and I think one of the things like that is so important. I remember I had a player that played for me. Uh, he signed with Mississippi State. He was a, he was a guard, six, about 6'1", six, 6'2", six, straight-A student, great player. And he came back from Mississippi State. And they always came back to see me during the Christmas holidays. We'd come to the gym and everybody would play. And he came over there when he got back and said, Coach, I got to tell you something. I said, okay, Lorenzo, what you got? He played an all-star game as well. Uh, he said, Coach, he said, we work twice as hard as, they, as we do at Mississippi State when I was here. I just want you to know that. What we do is a whole lot harder here than West. Mississippi State was a breeze beside what we had to do. And he said, the other thing, he said, I always knew exactly what I was supposed to do. I never had to wonder what I was supposed to do. I knew my assignment for the whole game. And he said, the other thing, he said, I thought we were supposed to win by 30 points every game. <laughs> and I just kind of busted out laughing. But do you see how simple that is? It's just the simplest thing in the world. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And he thought he was supposed to win by 30. 
And I think that one of the hardest things that we have to do is keep it simple. And yeah, I don't I keep totally it. Yeah. What was it you say? Uh, uh, what was his name? Tarkanian. Yeah, from Nevada, Las Vegas. He said, every time you add something to a kid to do, his feet get slower. So that's why you got to be real careful about that. Go ahead. No, I totally agree. And I think that's why really in later, you know, late now in my career, and you, and you kind of know our system, you've seen it operate. We are so simple. Um, and that's based on just learning over the years that um, just like you're saying is the, the more plays – uh, particularly on offense, Coach, I'm finding out that particularly at the girls' level, you really have to simplify things to one or two things that you're going to be really great at uh, and allow the kids to play. I was so focused on offensive execution that we never got a lot of shots. And now it's just the opposite. I mean, we're trying to get a we're trying to get a shot within seven seconds. I mean, it's but the kids enjoy it. And it's a it, it gives them a lot of freedom, which I think is important for players nowadays. Oh, it absolutely is, and we've played like that since the seventies. Uh, because I watched a lot of people play basketball that would run these continuity offenses, and and what would happen invariably? They'd pass the ball until they'd throw it away. Well, I want the first good winning shot, the shot that I think if we shot it every time, you know, we probably win the game. And, uh, but I think one of the most important things you can do as a coach too, and I don't think many coaches do that, but I define each player's shot. And that's through watching him, the shot that he can shoot a percentage at that we can win with. And it's different for everyone. And I think that makes them comfortable. And they know when they get open, when they get that shot and get open, they take it. They don't have a choice. And, um, we want to get that shot off. We want to get it off in a hurry because I think that one of the things you can control as a coach is physical conditioning. And if your system is set up where you play full court pressure and run the break every single possession, your kids are going to be in great shape, probably better than anybody else. And I can't tell you the number of times I we've seen people just wilt in the fourth quarter because their legs are gone. And our kids are just still going. And it's because of the system that you play. And it's just like what you do where you are. Y'all are doing the same thing now. It's, it's not exactly like, like we did it, but it's, it's that same philosophy of, of doing, keeping things simple, getting the ball up and down the floor, moving the basketball. I just I love that five out that y'all run. That's what I like. And, um, and that just creates so much movement. Because when you can make that defense, the more you make that defense move, the better off you are. The only thing I've ever added to the fast break much over the years is the slice. Is when you get the outlet pass, you head to the edge of the center circle. It gives your vision. You get such a greater vision. You can see the – because you're actually looking at the four-man and running the block, and then you can see the three and the two. But it, like in the old days, when you go down the sideline sort of, it, you didn't have very good vision. All you were looking at was basically your two-man. But – you, we add things as we go and hope to make it better. But I can still tell you this. If you don't rebound, you're not going to win. And that's why you've got to – that's why you got to get that assistant coach and make him the rebounding coach or make her the rebounding coach. And it will improve your pro- – I'm anxious to see what it's going to do at your program this year. 
this lady that you hired is going to make a big, big difference. I believe that. Yeah, she was. She's probably the best rebounder I ever coached. I had, I had a few good rebounders over the years, and um, she just has that toughness mentality. Matter of fact, uh, but she's. I, I, well, I tell you where she's is just the relationships with the players because um, I think male coaches probably if I had to you know recommend anything for male coaches out to coach girls you have to get a female staff you have to you do you, you really do don't don't think like I mean males do not think um, like females I mean you have to get you have to have some help there and I think you got to show that humility. And uh, you got to get women on your staff that can really relate to the kids, to the girls. Yeah. I've coached boys and girls. And uh, I can tell you now, girls are, boy, it's uh, – Kevin, it's kind of like they either love you or hate you. There's not there's not a lot of mid-ground, is it? <laughs> you know, it's just right. they're kind of all – and when I say hate you, I, that's a bad word to use. I don't believe that. But what they'll do, if the girls don't like you, they'll just put it on cruise control, so to speak. And uh, – that's not what you want. That's not what you're looking for. And but uh, the right female coach can uh, can really, really make a difference. Really make a difference. She can solve problems for you. She can solve problems before they happen. Uh, she can take care of the drama that the girls get into. And girls are gonna have some drama now. And uh, so I don't know. I, I think that this young lady you've got is gonna really make a difference for you especially on the rebounding, because I don't know, as I've gotten older and older, I just see that, boy, these people that rebound that basketball, even you look at them, they're not a real good team, but they can rebound. They usually wind up winning more games than you, than you think they would have. Hey, Coach, tell yeah. me about – yeah, you're, you're exactly right. That, that's a major emphasis on our program this year. Tell me what you saw at the clinic, and, and I want you to add to this. Um, cause I, I spent a long time after the clinic, talked to all these national rated coach, all these top guys like Randy Kaufman, uh, all, right. all these guys. And we were all going, man, this gym should be full of coaches for what they're getting with all this coaching talent. And it's not, it's the hardest thing I think I've ever done was try to get coaches to these clinics. I don't, and I don't think anybody has an answer. Are coaches now uh, not hungry, not hungry for information, or they can just get it easily over the web? I mean, that, that's what we're trying to figure out. Are clinics outdated? I don't think they are, but what's your opinion? Well, I don't think they're outdated because I know it, if I had a son and he was going to coach, I would go pick him up and take him to that clinic and make him stay there and listen every single year. I promise you that. Um, but no, I think it's because this sounds trite and I don't mean to sound trite, but it's because so many young people today, they don't know what they don't know. And that means you, you think you have mastered something and, and you haven't, you haven't at all. And coaching is about mastering certain things. It's mastering the things that you're committed to. And they think they know certain things. They think that they think that you can read a book or look at a YouTube on TV uh, or on your, your phone and you're going to, that you know how to run that system and you don't. It's so much uh, more, it's, it's not complicated, but it, what you do has got to fit together. And it's, 
keeping the things that matter the most. And you only learn that by hanging out and listening to people that have been there and done that. But see, if, if those guys knew how little they know when they first start out, they'd be there. And I guess you just say it this way, Kevin, they don't value knowledge. They really don't. If they did, you couldn't keep them away. When I was a young coach starting out, first thing I did was find Burke Jenkins in Mississippi. I was just a young, skinny coach, and I didn't know very much about anything except baseball, but I loved basketball. My brother was a great player, and I was a good player. I played a little bit of college, but not much. And uh, But I found him. And you'll find out if you if you call somebody up with a little gray hair that's had some success, they'll tell you everything they know. But don't the great coaches give it all away, Coach? Uh, they definitely do. I mean, if you look at the podcast that I've done, um, great coaches. I mean, Kevin Kiernan, uh, Coach uh, Freddie Johnson from Greensboro Day. I mean, these guys are, are legendary coaches. I mean, they'll they'll – They'll contact you and call you and share whatever you know, whatever you need. Um, it's, and, like, it's like our buddy Gene Durden. Oh yeah, um, he's got a handout that's, that's several pages long, and uh, he gives it to anybody that wants it. I've gone and watched him practice and play, and what he gives you, the material, it's exactly what they do. And see, that's the difference between these big clinics that they have all over the country with the big name college coaches and what you're doing. You get the core, the backbone. You get what matters most. You get their whole system. And you can't just – coaches that piecemeal, I don't think they're going to be very successful. When they have great players, they're going to have a good team. And if they don't, they're going to have a bad team. And it's your system that you run that gives you the consistency every year. See, the system that you run right now, it just builds every part of your players. I'm just amazed now and how much better they are right now than they were at the end of the last year. And, boy, you see that work. It, uh, it just is taking place now. But I'm, I'm just amazed that uh, the young people don't flock to it. Uh, that's why I get irritated that most people that are coaching now, Coach, they don't have any business coaching, a whole bunch of them. Number one, they don't know enough to coach. They think they do, and they won't go out and find it. And they, I think they think that it's like Coach Rick Tomlin and I talk all the time. There's so many people think that boy coaching is all about giving a great motivational speech. Well, your motivational speech means something only if your kids are totally prepared, you know, body, soul, and spirit. And uh, so there goes your motivational speeches. Again, it matters if, uh, if you're prepared. And, you know, kids, one of the things, that's another thing about coaches. That's why – Kids love their coaches because coaches prepare you, body, soul, and spirit, whole thing. And uh, it's just a very, very special thing. But I don't want to beat these young folks up so much. But I know, uh, you know, I was up there. I spoke. I was able to speak, you know, at the clinic there three consecutive years. And I was just amazed at the number of coaches there that, good gracious, they just – what they know about this game is unreal. And, Coach, don't you think you're finding out that high school coaches, I think so many of them is just know more than so many of your college coaches. Yeah, I think that I think that's a fact. I think your college coaches probably would admit that as well uh, because they have to be teachers because they're not given a lot of talent. Now, where there's, there's some schools 
I hate to say it. There's some schools, particularly in Atlanta, that that acquire talent, which that's a, that's another podcast. But most of us had we just have what we have, and we have to develop players. Um, it's not about acquiring talent. So I think I think that we have to, just by necessity. Whereas college is just a little bit different. It's all about recruiting. They're still great teachers, but it's not our absolute requirement. That's exactly right. And that's why I hope you're able to go on with this uh, clinic uh, year after year after year. But, Lord, son, you had 50 people there, right? Yeah, I mean, we had a pretty good uh, – I, I judge it by my speakers' feedback, and they all told me – these guys from all over the country, and they said it was one of the best clinics they ever been to, plus – the actual speakers are developing relationships with coaches. We forget that's probably the most important thing about the clinic. Uh, you can't develop relationships when you're watching things on TV. You do it no, by you being, it's personal. Going to a clinic yeah. is personal. You're, you're seeing Gene Durden up and close with a passion and the intensity. You can't see that on a video. So I think clinics are absolutely vital for all our coaches around the country. Yeah. It's like one of the coaches shared there this time, and uh, it's a simple thing, but he says, you know, when you're a young coach starting out, you need to have a close relationship with a, a coach that you know a little bit more than, and then you need to have a close relationship with somebody that's about on the same level with you, and then you need to have a close relationship with somebody with gray hair that knows a lot more than you and that's your mentor. That's a simple one, two, three. But, Coach, don't you think that's just invaluable? I do. Matter of fact, you, I mean, you're you're a prime example. I mean, um, I, I get feedback from you all the time. And I, I like how you're transparent, you're honest. Um, you go to our games, our practices, and I, I don't think enough coaches do that, maybe because they lack confidence. But I think it's absolutely vital you have mentors that you can you can talk to and just get feedback. Boy, you, you, you really have to, because I go back to that thing of it's so important to know what you don't know. One of the things that I was arrogant about when I first started coaching was man defense. One week time, I mean, once we got it down pat, and that's what we were committed to, I didn't want to hear anything about a zone. But I can tell you what, it cost me a lot of wins because I didn't know very much about a zone. I did play it a few times. In fact, I always said the best game I ever coached in my life was one year we lost Pretty much all of our players had one great player left. We were playing a team, Wayne County, right down the road from us, our rival. All five of their starters signed college scholarships. But we stayed with our man-to-man -man pressure until the ball got to the old hash mark. We melted into a 1-3-1, and we beat them. And we beat them and should not have beaten them. But you know what? I didn't go ahead and develop that 1-3-1 anymore. I went right back to my man-to-man -man and pretty much stuck with it. But what I'm saying – you, you've got to have some zone if you do man-to-man -man pressure like we did to understand it so you'll know how to defeat it. Um, and if you don't do that, it's, it's going to cost you some. Now, it's just some things that I would do a little bit differently, you know, if I had it to do over again. I would. If I had it to do over again now, I would just do straight-up man-to-man uh, full court after maids. I'd get in a half court, one three one, and then probably a 1-2-2 two, two in the half court. Or no, probably – we do uh, um, help help side defense. You know what do you, what do they call that? 
Fort Virginia runs. Well, it's, more of a, it's it's more of a pack line gap, but we call it gap. Yeah, more of a pack line gap. Yeah, the guy that uh, won the championship this year at Virginia, his dad ran it for years and years at Wisconsin. Yeah, and, yeah. And Dean Durden even does that. And it uh, it's not the fanciest thing in the whole world, but doggone you. One of the things about the pack line is you take away that straight line drive and it puts you in the best position to rebound that you could get in. And, and that's a big deal. Whether you like it or not, it's a fact. And, but anyway, there's a lot of things we probably do a little different, but I don't know. I think you got to have a great system. And I think there's several great systems out there, but, but of course, mine's the best and yours is the best, right? Kevin. 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 Hey, man, I'm here. Okay. Well, yeah, that's all right. That's got- yeah, I go back and I, I go back and I uh, edit that. That's not a problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, hey, what I was saying was I think the difference between successful programs are the head coaches just have a knack for getting the most out. They have, they're just great teachers, don't you think? Well, I think when you build a great relationship with your kids is, is the way you get it all out of them, I, I do. And it, it, see, it's when a group of kids, when they come to realize that every single Every single thing you do is for their best benefit. That's when they cross that line and you've got them. They're going to do what you say. They're going to respect you and they're going to give you all they have. And it takes a little bit of work to, to get that done. But I know this when I, my kids always knew that everything I did for them on the court or off the court, my intentions were always for their best benefit. And once they realize that, it's kind of like the word gets out, you know, among the student body and everybody else, the mothers and fathers. And then even if you make a few mistakes along the way, the kids, you know, they just move on with it. That's just the way coach is. Deal with it, <laughs> you know. And and I think that's, that's so critical. Uh, but if they don't believe, that you're everything you do is for their best benefit, then they're going to think that he's using me. That's right. all he's doing. You ever seen any coaches just use kids to win games? They're out there. <clears throat> well, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, and it, you know, but that's also, we got to look at administrations too, P that's a whole nother podcast. And that is, you know, when you're firing coaches after one or two years at the high school level, that's a major problem. And I think you got to – but at the same point, I think coaches need to to put more time into their craft and develop and, and show the administration that, hey, they're all in. They really do. And, you know, there's one of the, the guys you were talking to this summer that uh, was looking at your videos. And, boy, he was just so impressed by what y'all did with those kids in the summertime. I mean, the little kids, you know, all the way up. Yeah. And 
that stuff matters. It kicks in. It really does. And it, it speaks to it. It speaks to being professional with the technology we have today. There's a lot of things we can do. And I'll tell you, there's something else that was thrown out there at the clinic, and I forgot who said it, and I know this, and you do too. But it was talking about how teams are built during the season, but individual players are built during the summertime. And that's a fact. And everything rises and falls on ball handling. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that as your ball handling gets better, your shooting gets better. And that's why as much time as you can get kids to uh, to uh, put in during the summertime. But I think you've got to give them an assignment in the summertime. You know, whether you practice three days a week or four days a week. See, I don't like this going and playing all these games, you know, among teams around traveling over here in the summertime. I'd rather practice. I'd rather practice three days a week or four days a week or whatever. I think you get more out of it. And I think you, you learn more. Um, I've done it both ways, and it, it always benefited us more when we just – during the summer, we just practice and practice hard. But that, that was just me. But <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think I, – I do think that's pretty rare. I don't, not too many – unless you go certain parts of the country, I think, um, uh, simply because I do feel like um, kids are a little bit different these days, and I think – um, there has to be for kids, this is my philosophy, there has to be an enjoyment factor. And if they're grinding it out all summer, I think you lose kids these days. Um, well, and I think there has to be a combination of fun and enjoyment and then really working hard. Um, and it's not an either or, it's a both and. And the way that I handle that, and I don't, I guess you can still do this, but I, found and I gathered up a group of very young guys in their 20s that had played basketball you know at the high school and played college basketball and they just came in about six or eight of them and we played them and awful awful and just and and our kids you still there? There, Coach. Okay. Yeah. But, um, like I said, it's not an either or. It's a both and. A little bit of both. But um, I'm not even sure I'd want my kids playing AAU ball. I don't think you – I think you almost have to let them play now, AAU ball. But I'm, I'm too paranoid. Uh, yeah, and I think there's going to be some changes with that, too. On that. I'm actually looking to uh, – we're looking to kind of, you know, get something going out here because, I mean – there's no way kids should be traveling to Macon or Atlanta just to, you know, play on a club team. I, I think, I think travel ball should be more community oriented um, rather than having people spend tons of money and travel. I, I still think it needs to come back to the community where these kids are living. That's my own personal. And I think people just need to come together and, uh, yeah kind of start 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 almost have almost a grassroots program back in the community uh, there's no reason why because of course i have i have a player that travels all over the country so um and that's a that's a big time investment uh, but not everybody can do that no you can't and um 
you're probably going to have to have some some poachers out there. You better be careful with her. <laughs> I'm paranoid, Coach. Always have been. But, but no, I, I tell you, another thing that I just wanted to mention here that might help somebody down the way is um, you got to develop about 10 or 12 drills that actually happen during the game. Right. Now, one of them is, my, is that four-on-four-on-four four on four that I call chaos. But you've got to have a way of teaching everything, and it can't be complicated. You know, I always ask somebody if you, you've got a drill, what are the one, two, threes of teaching your drill? Just three things that you do that are critical to that drill. And see, kids can remember those things. But the how to teach it, I think, that was what's so impressive about Gene Durden at the clinic. Boy, they knew exactly how to teach each drill, didn't they? I mean, every little detail, they had that thing down pat. Of course, he's been doing it for 36 years. He ought to know a little something, hadn't he? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, you've been doing it how long? Well, this is, yeah, um, started my, well, my 29th year. 29. 29, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of learn on the run and so forth. Um, but uh, the one thing I've, I've always believed in that you're always trying to get better. Um, doesn't matter whether you're a first, second year, or 30 years. Uh, and Gene's the same way. Gene's always learning. He, he's not afraid of picking up certain things to make his program better. Yeah. Well, he does. I remember him, him mentioning something here uh, at the clinic when the guy showed us the one, two, two, which Gene's been running that all his life. But he talked about how, which part of that he was going to incorporate into what he does. So here he is, seven straight state titles, and he found something that he's going to incorporate. He constantly learned. And that makes – yeah. That just makes all the difference in the world. But the other thing I, before we go I want to emphasize is you've got to kill the press. And I don't mean just break the press. you got to kill it. And by that I mean you got to go score. You don't come against the press by just – I hope I can get it in and get it across half court. No, you got to kill it. And that's why it's got to be incorporated into your fast break. Without, we just holler one, we just holler a, a, a color, just a color, red. Not, and so you, I never throw the ball into my point guard against the press. I'm going to fake to him. And but when they see, when that five man is inbound on that ball, when he sees that press, he hollers red. And we, going to take it to the other side of the floor and we're going to inbound it to our very best player. And the way we do it, you can't keep him from getting it. I can tell you that I've seen it too many times, but anyway, you got to know how to kill the press. And if you want to learn how to kill the press, you look up Bill self and Larry Brown and Hubie Brown. And I promise you, I promise you, you will learn how to kill the press. And that's all I'll say about that because <laughs> yeah, those are great coaches right there. Yeah, you we could say that UB is probably if he's on my top five as far as just brilliant basketball minds. Um he said two things, Kevin. He said a lot of things, but he says don't ever dribble the ball any closer than six feet to the out of bound line. And I've always taught that since then. It has saved me a many a turnover. I promise you it has. And he uh, he said he said now this you know, guys you got he said even at the pro level he said every single day we practiced against a half court press 
He says, never a day goes by that we didn't work against the press. Because he said something like this. He said, it doesn't matter till it matters. And I just, you know, most people don't work against the press every day. That's why I played the way we did. We pressed every day. The whole game. The whole practice, you know. And, but no, those are some guys out there. And you can get their material now. You can get their material. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of information out there. That's for sure. It's really what you do with it, right, Coach? Right. And it's you got to have the attitude of kill the press, not break the press. That means we're going to score. And we take that thing at offside and we drive that ball in and put that first step right between the legs of that defender and he pins him and we get that ball to him. He rips it over the top. Point guards break into the middle. We're gone. We're, we're gone. I'm getting excited. I want to I want to run that against somebody's press. <laughs> you will, Coach. There's no doubt, man. In the meantime, you're my number one consultant, so I'm going to be picking your brain. Hey, Coach, last question. Give me the best basketball, either book, resource. What what's, what do you do? I mean, it, it can, from the past or whatever, that has helped you as a coach or something current that will really help you as a coach. Wow, that's a that's a tough question. It depends kind of on whose system you're you're interested. I can tell you the things that helped me the most was a little booklet from Sonny Smith that brought the numbered breakdown. A guy named Cam Henderson invented it from Marshall University in the fifties, but Sonny Allen started running it. He kind of hurt my feelings when I, I got his little old booklet and um, and got to talk to him one time for a long time. And I, I said, well, coach, I wanted to talk about the press, you know, man-to-man defense. And I said, well, how, just how do y'all teach your man-to-man defense? He says, "He's, you won't believe this, Kevin. He says, we don't. I said, what do you mean? I just knew he was one of those because they ran with the ball so well. They're the best running team in the nation at that time. And he says, we never practice against the man-to-man. I said, you never practice? Man? He says, no, we just run a two-three zone. I said, well, do you ever, have you ever, you don't ever play man-to-man, do you? He says, yeah, the other night, about two, three games ago, uh, we were down about eight. And we just said, let's go man-to-man. We went man-to-man, we won the game. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is don't get too settled in and think that what you know and what you do is the only way to do things, because it's not. And Sonny Allen had a great career, and he did it by running that number break and playing a two-three zone defense. And – uh, he's one of the greatest guys I've ever been. The other one was a, a book by George Raveling. You you may have gotten it years ago called War on the Boards. Yeah, sure have, yes. Man, let me tell you, you'll find out right then. And see, George Raveling, was a, is a, he's got a podcast right now that he runs. And I tell you what, buddy, he's a smart, smart guy. But his whole thing was either you're a warrior or you're not. And rebounding is nothing but a fight. And, boy, he had some great drills and – I jumped in on the mentality of that and um, just never, just never forgot those, those two little booklets. And then Bobby Knight, remember the booklet he put out about let's play defense. Yeah, for sure. That's solid sound block out. See, that's why I was never able to run the fast break system like Loyola Marymount and other people. I was so um, given to just straight up fundamental man to man. You know, I, I just, I can't just go out there and press so you'll run, you know. And um, But those three booklets probably helped me 
and there those are that's old old material it really is and and anything you can get you name the, off the names anything you can get by um hubie brown bill self and larry brown i want to tell you now larry brown is right there either a little better than maybe hubie brown i don't know but now if you can get hold of Larry Brown material about breaking the press and things like that, let me tell you something. It is as solid as it gets. Yeah. And I got a chance one time. I've read all. I'm like, you've read more books than I have, I'm sure. But I, <laughs> I read all of, John, all of John Wooden's books, you know. And But the thing about it, a lot of those books and all, I've read a lot of basketball books that are just filler. Um, they're always written by somebody else as a rule a ghost writer of some sort, you know, and, um, I don't know the best material I've ever gotten was from, uh, Larry Brown's material was about five or six pages on both sides <laughs> stapled together and Jerry Tarkanian's material. I got his material in the late, in the early seventies. And back in those days, he did the Larry Loyola Marymount system, except that was his system then. And he played the best defense. He had a guy that was his assistant coach. It was the first guy to go to the NBA and make a million dollars a year as an assistant coach. He was the defensive coordinator. Marovich or something, Manovich or something like that. I can't think of his name. But he's got material out there. But George Ravling had a set that I run. He, um, I remember him talking about it. He says he, this, this sounded crazy to me until I found out it was actually true. He ran the same set 61 times in a game. Same set. It's called ISO. It's just four people cross. And you just cross one person over to the left side, cross your two big men at the two elbows, and get the ball to you, your best player right there on the elbow, and he goes one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, I can't tell you I've won a bunch of games at the end just by running ISO over and over and over again. And it just gets people in foul trouble. And the other one I got from um, – close friend of mine, MK Turk, was right down the road from me at my first job. He coached at Pyle Lincoln Junior College. He went on to coach Southern Mississippi for many, many years. Uh, it was just called Cincinnati. It's the simplest set in the world. And I think you got to have a couple of sets that you run after out of bounds and things like that that are quick hitters. And both those, the ISO and that, you run it off one pass. One, Well, one pass to the point guard, then one pass to somebody else bingo you score that's that's your that's that set right right and, uh, i think we I ran did we run yeah. i think i ran your cincinnati set i think um you showed it to me you showed it to me like the the day before and i think we ran it the next day i think gets uh one of the y'all ran, ran the eye so the little girl missed the layup yeah. but <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know but it's uh i'm a great believer in simplicity man and those are the two simplest sets that, that I know of. And uh, kids can remember it. And uh, like on ISO, you can run it for any one of your players you want to. Right. So, okay, Bobby, ISO. And he knows exactly where to go and what to do. He knows he's going to get the ball. And he knows he's going to beat this guy one-on-one -on -one or he'll shoot a foul shot. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Coach, tell but me that if, um, if, if the listeners want to get a hold of you, they want – hey, maybe they just want, you know – some of your key values and important things or drills, things like that. How can they get, how can they get uh, your information? 
How can you give us your, your best contact? Maybe your email. Um, I know you're on Facebook. Uh, what's the best way to contact Coach Pete Acock? Call me at 478-357-2187. Great. And if I don't answer, you text me and I will call you back. I stay up late, late at night <laughs> thinking about the games that I've lost and how what I could have done to have won them. And that's sad. I should be thinking about all the games I won, shouldn't I? <laughs> exactly. But I don't. Once we lost. Uh, basketball is a cruel taskmaster, man. Uh, I, 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 I did that. You, you've probably heard of Greg Meyer that used to be at David Livingston. A lot of people don't know it, but he was the winningest coach in all of basketball, but he was at the Division II level. And he is the one that started, was the first one that started making videos and selling them. And all the other big-time Division I guys, they uh, held him in high respect, and he coached them. But uh, I called him one day, and I wasn't close friends with him at all. I just had his phone number, and I called him to ask him to help me with something because I was going back into coaching. And he had, his answer machine came on, and he says, this is Greg Meyer. I've been sitting here thinking of all the games that I've lost in my whole career and what I should have done to have won them. Leave your number, and I'll call you back. And I thought, man, that's exactly what I do. And uh, I've just always laughed about that. And he was one of the greatest coaches that ever lived. And a lot of people that, that got his material, I've got a bunch of his videos. But that's what we do as coaches. Hi, this is Jeff Jasper, head basketball coach at Pascack Valley High School in New Jersey. If you haven't listened to Kevin's championship podcast, you're missing out. This guy's got a passion for the game, great insights, and he interviews some pretty cool people. I must say he interviewed me. I had a lot of fun. Best to all of you. Take care. Hey, Kevin. Jamie, how are you, my friend? Good, good. Good. Sound, everything sounds good? Sounds good. Great, great, man. Thanks for coming back, man. I appreciate you being so patient. No problem. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, I just got finished. I got to tell you, I just got finished. I ran a clinic the other day, um, and uh, we had coaches from all over the country. On, <clears throat> and I love to get your feedback on clinic buildings. I know you're a man that does it all. Um, hey, hey, tell us again a little bit about your background and uh, kind of what journey kind of led you into your into coaching and what you're doing right now well you know i hope not to uh, i hope not to take up the rest of the evening with that opening question it's uh <laughs> it's been a long journey for me after 35 years uh, but uh you know i've been in love with basketball for a long time uh, especially as a player as a young kid never really thought about coaching much until i got to uh college and uh, i went to wisconsin stout a division three school uh, NCAA Division Three school in Wisconsin, and uh, after my second year, my coach said, "Hey, why don't you stick around in the summer and uh, and help me run my basketball camps?" And I hadn't really even thought about anything—camps, coaching, anything. I just loved playing. I know that, so I decided to stay, help him with his camps. Fell in love with you know working with kids and and the summer camp routine and all that. Uh, just got the bug and decided uh right then and there that summer that i wanted to get into coaching uh didn't know really what level or where i wanted to coach i just knew coaching was going to be in my future at some point so uh after 
finishing up there. I, I got a high school job back in my hometown area near Iron River, Michigan. I grew up about 45 minutes from Iron Mountain, Michigan, which is Tom Izzo uh, country. Him and Steve Mariucci grew up there together and uh, played high school basketball and football together. And he went on to play at Northern Michigan University. And uh, so we had a legend right in our backyard as far as coaching and uh, never really ever wanted to be the next Tom Izzo or anything. You know, that was never a, a goal or a passion. I just knew I wanted to be around the game in some capacity. So started with high school coaching and uh, found out real quick that I didn't like being stuck in a classroom all day. <laughs> and uh wasn't for me, although I love the high school coaching. Uh, obviously, we're not going to pay too many bills with just coaching. So I knew I had to figure out something. Got a Division two After one year, I got a Division two assistant women's coaching job offer from Kevin Borseth. He was the head women's basketball coach at Michigan Tech University. He's gone on to uh, quite a bit of fame at uh, uh, Wisconsin Green Bay as the women's coach there. He had a short stint where he left. and. Kev, you there? Hey, Jamie. Yep. Are you there? Hey, Coach Jake. Hey, yeah, I am. Thank you so much for being so patient. Uh, Should I? I'm on hey, Wi-Fi hey. calling. Should I take it off that and just try to do straight T-Mobile, or what do you think? Uh, I think I think you're fine. I think you're good. I uh, actually, my Wi-Fi is in a good spot here. It's usually mine that kind of breaks up. Um, I'm hey, I noticed there's a finish recording button on my phone. Yes. I'm wondering if I put that if I'm putting that up against my face and maybe that's hitting it or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm stopping it myself. That's a possibility too. It's very sensitive. Um, yeah, just yeah. Okay, and uh, what I'll do is I, I, you know, I always go back and edit everything and so forth. Okay. Um, yeah, hopefully we get it right, man. It's still the first quarter, man. We're down by like thirty. <laughs> I guess. So. Um, now what do I do, man? Do I go zone or what? I don't know what to do. Uh, hey, um, <laughs> I'll junk it up. Exactly, <laughs> man. We'll talk about that. Um, you're talking about you were at Michigan Tech and uh, under a great coach. Kind of continue on with that. Yeah, I had the chance to work for Kevin Borseth, a great coach. Uh, he gave me an opportunity to get out of high school coaching, which I found I didn't, you know, didn't enjoy being stuck in a classroom, as I said. But uh, I spent uh, a year with him there, and uh, lo and behold, I get a call after one year, and this is a, a great uh, reminder for people who are growing up moving up in the profession, even starting back when you're a student. I had a high school athletic director who I loved and, and always respected and was, you know, treated him with uh, kindness. And just like all, most of my athletic people I was with all my life, I tried to give them a little special attention, knowing I wanted to be uh, around basketball. Well, turns out my high school athletic director uh, was an assistant football coach at Northern Michigan University the same time Stan Elbeck was the head men's coach at Northern Michigan University. And Stan's, uh, Stan went on to great NBA sure. coaching fame and coached Michael Jordan his rookie year at the, with the Bulls. Yeah. So, yeah, he called me and said, hey, Stan's looking for an assistant coach at Bradley University. And I was like, wow, I'm two years into my – I'm one year high school, one year Division two, women's assistant, and I got a chance to go to Division one at, like, <laughs> you know, 20 – three, 24, 25 years old. And I said, wow, this would be amazing. So luck was really on my side because Stan, even though he was the head coach of Bradley, and this is 
this is Hersey Hawkins now senior year. Unfortunately, I got there after Hersey, but uh, he was a great player and went on to play for Philadelphia 76ers for many years. But uh, Stan had one foot in the NBA and one on Bradley. And I don't think he wanted to be a college coach at all. And, and, but said, Hey, come on up. We'll talk. I want you to go with my assistant coach to the big men's camp in Western Michigan, hang out with him for the day. He'll interview you. He'll, you know, run you around and, you know, had me recruiting everybody, breaking network names down for kids and stuff like that. And ran me through the paces and we had a nice dinner. And, and his assistant coach said, well, Stan told me if I liked you to hire you. So he liked me, he hit it off and he hired me. So I'm assistant coach, a third assistant now at uh, Bradley University. Back then it was called a restricted earnings. You're probably too, <laughs> uh, too uh, young for those days, Kevin, but this is right. Uh, <laughs> restricted earnings third assistant and uh, but you're still talking about you're at michigan tech and uh under a great coach kind of continue on with that yeah i, I had the chance to work for kevin borseth a uh, great coach uh he gave me an opportunity to get out of high school coaching which i found i didn't you know didn't enjoy being stuck in a classroom as i said but uh i spent uh, a year with him there and uh Lo and behold, I get a call after one year, and this is a, a great uh, reminder for people who are growing up, moving up in the profession, even starting back when you're a student. I had a high school athletic director who I loved and, and always respected and was, you know, treated him with uh, kindness. And just like all most of my athletic people I was with all my life, I tried to give them a little special attention, knowing I wanted to be uh, around basketball. Well, Turns out my high school athletic director uh, was an assistant football coach at Northern Michigan University. The same time Stan Elbeck was the head men's coach at Northern Michigan University. And Stan's, uh, Stan went on to great NBA sure. coaching fame and coached Michael Jordan his rookie year at the, with the Bulls. Yeah. So, yeah, he called me and said, hey, Stan's looking for an assistant coach at Bradley University. And I was like, wow, I'm two years into my I'm one year high school, one year division two women's assistant and I got a chance to go to division one and like, you know, 23, 24, 25 years old. And I said, wow, this would be amazing. So luck was really on my side because Stan, even though he was the head coach of Bradley and this is, this is Hersey Hawkins now senior year. Unfortunately I got there after Hersey, but uh, he was a great player and went on to play for Philadelphia 76ers for many years. But um Stan had one foot in the NBA and one on Bradley. And I don't think he wanted to be a college coach at all. And, and, but said, Hey, come on up. We'll talk. I want you to go with my assistant coach to the big men's camp in Western Michigan, hang out with him for the day. He'll interview you. He'll, you know, run you around and you know, have me recruiting everybody, breaking network names down for kids and stuff like that. And ran me through the paces and we had a nice dinner and, and his assistant coach said, well, Stan told me if I liked you to hire you. So, he liked me. He hit it off and he hired me. So I'm assistant coach, a third assistant now at uh, Bradley University. Back then it was called a restricted earnings. You're probably too, uh, <laughs> too uh, young for those days, Kevin, but this is right. uh, <laughs> restricted earnings, third assistant. And, uh, but you're still. Hey, Jamie. <laughs> Hey, uh, not a problem at all. Hey, welcome back again. Hey, hey, tell me again, you're at Bowling Green. I, I, I'm a big fan of Jim Laranega. Matter of fact, 
I got all his books. As a matter of fact, I got all your books too, Jamie. So uh, all his tapes, everything. He's he's very underrated as a coach, isn't he? He really is. Uh, man, he, he paid his dues. You talk about someone paid his dues. He was an assistant coach for a while. He, he was with Terry Holland at Virginia and uh, really paid his dues working uh, for him and finally got his opportunity to head coach. He started at American University before he got to Bowling Green. But uh, man, what a what a educational experience for me. Hard worker, expected assistant coaches to work as hard, if not harder, than him. Uh, but I had a great great experience with him for two years there as a restricted earnings uh, assistant coach. Got to babysit his kids. One of them, uh, Jay Larinaga, who's now the Top assistant with the Boston Celtics and a very good coach in his own right. He'll be a head coach in the NBA very soon. Uh, so that experience was uh, amazing for me. You still there, Kev? Yes, sir. Okay, great. So after two years, again, I'm a restricted earnings assistant, and I'm trying for these, trying to get these other jobs. And uh, I realized I don't have any recruiting experience, even though I've spent now three years at the Division One level. It was all restricted earnings and no, no, no uh, recruiting experience. So, a buddy of mine got a D two head coaching job at, at Lake Superior State, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula, where I'm from, and uh, offered me the top assistant there in his head recruiting position. And uh, spent three years there, did very well uh, building up that program. In fact, they won the year I left. They won the championship. Unfortunately, the year after, but all of the players that we recruited. Uh, uh, did did very well, and he ended up winning the conference championship uh, first time in a long, long time. So, uh, but when I got there, I met my first wife and realized I wanted to settle down and, and raise a family, and wasn't making a ton of money even at the D two level as a top assistant. So, I decided to settle down and get married and have some kids, and and uh, took a high school job in Norway, Norway, Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. This is not far from Iron Mountain and Tom Izzo country again. But uh, now I find myself back in a classroom, which I vowed I wouldn't do. But here I was <laughs> um, back at, back in the classroom. But I was loving coaching. I had some success at the high school level there. Uh, and during this time, this is really where my career takes a, a really big swing in my life. And uh, during this time when I was a high school coach, a friend of mine. Continue saying about um, – you know, you're trying to settle down and work as a high school coach. And um, what happened after that? What, what what were some changes in your life? What were some changes going on in your life? Um, well, I, yeah, I went back to high school coaching. I wanted to settle down and get married to have some kids and, and I needed to make some money. So uh, high school teaching was the route to do it at that time. Wasn't making enough at the college level. So uh, spent three years at Norway High School. It's a school right near Iron Mountain, Michigan. We're, again, back to Izzo, Mariucci country. <laughs> um, but during that time, a, a good friend of our families uh, that I grew up with, she's actually one of my sister's best friends, she worked at Indiana University. She was either in marketing or sports information, something at Indiana University. But she was very, very good friends with Bobby Knight. And this is Bobby Knight's heyday back then. And, and so I wanted to work his basketball camp. And it wasn't an easy job to get back then. As you can imagine, everybody in the country wanted to work that camp. 
So uh, she pulled some strings, and sure enough, I'm working Bobby Knight's fastball camp. And this is when uh, my life changed uh, tremendously, uh, in a funny way, actually. Um, have you ever been to any university at all on campus, uh, Kevin? I never have. No, no, I always wanted to. Yeah, well, I wasn't really too familiar what where the heck we were going every day, but to go to Canberra every day, it felt like, and I'm not the, the guy that – I'm not a long distance runner by any means. I'm not one of those guys that's, uh, you know, can't wait to get up and hike three miles to <laughs> camp, but it felt like about two or three miles. It probably wasn't, but it was a long hike to camp every day from where they dormed us to where the gym was. It wasn't in the assembly hall. We were in some other gym, but, um, so after about three days of this, I'm at the back of the line and I'm walking. And of course, everyone doesn't want to say one negative word about Indiana, about Bob Knight. I mean, you know, he has got <laughs> everybody there. No one is going to have the guts to say anything whatsoever. And you tell you, you talk about nervous, Kevin. I tell you what, run, I was, you run a, a station with Bob Knight. He's only in camp, you know, two or three days. His, Speech before camp and after our, our classics. I can't even repeat half the stuff he said. I can't. I'm still in shock <laughs> to this day. The stuff he said to some of those parents and kids there. But anyway, you talk about nervous. I'm still a fairly young coach. Uh, I don't know, maybe one of my seven, eight, nine years into the profession, and I'm running a station drill and nights walking around watching the stations. Holy smokes! You talk about nervous. <laughs> all you get, all you can imagine is nights just gonna go off on you, starting laying India in front of these kids. But anyway, we're walking two or three miles. And I finally said, you know what? This is BS. Whoever set this camp up and I could see people starting to look around me like, Oh my God, you know, are you actually saying something negative about Bob Knight's camp? You know, how dare you? You know, this is, this is Bobby Knight. Nothing. You know, you, you cannot say anything. I said, no, this is crazy. It's nothing about Bob Knight. It's just whoever put this camp together. It's ridiculous to have to walk this far to and from. And I start cracking jokes. And one of the guys next to me starts laughing. And he says, you know what? I've been saying this to my buddy all week long, but everyone's been afraid to say anything. And you, uh, I appreciate the fact that you stood up and said something. I don't Hey, Coach. Where are we? Hey, I, I love it. Uh, I'm a big Steve Lavin fan. Always have been and so forth. Um, but uh, I love – I tell you what I love is – and I, I've always just been a high school coach, so I can't relate to your story. But it just sounds like you're making connection after connection, building relationships. Yep. And that's what really kind of got to – isn't that the key for co those coaches who are, are listening? That it truly is, you know, and, and I got a perfect, uh, boy, I got a, there's a downside uh, to, to having success, especially early in coaching, but, and I'll explain that in a little bit, but uh, yeah, for, but for Steve Lavin to, to tell me, Hey, you know, if I got an opening, you got a job and I'm not sure if where we left off last, but I was watching the NCAA tournament and uh, there's Steve Lavin who took over a UCLA team now as an assistant coach was elevated to head coach when Jim Herrick was fired. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Sure, sure, absolutely, yes. So Lavin takes over, and I'm sure they didn't even think they were going to hire this young kid as a head coach at UCLA, but his, table, his team goes on to almost runs the table to the, to the national championship. I think they got beaten the, the Elite Eight. They had Iowa State, I believe it was, on the ropes, and they had one of their better players get injured. 
uh, Jelani McCoy down the stretch uh, in a big game where they could have got him to the final four, but he made such a great run with the UCLA team. They ended up giving him the head coaching job. And I turned to my wife at that time. And we had just won a district championship at, at Norway high school the first time in 20 years. And I had success there and I was feeling good, but again, stuck in the classroom, Kevin, I just couldn't, I couldn't get out how, how much I really hated being stuck there all day. And, uh, I ended up, uh, picking up the phone and, and, seeing if Lavin would uh, come through with his, with his promise. And uh, lo and behold, he did. He said, pack your bags and get out to Los Angeles as quick as you can. And uh, you with me, Kevin? Yes. Yes. And I love that loyalty, man. I mean, I, uh, and I, I'm assuming it's, it's, it's the same today, but I'm not quite sure you would know more than I would. Uh, but that, that's, that's really great, man. That's what relationships yeah, are all about. It, it really was. I mean, for him to, you know, and we had stayed in touch and stuff, but gosh, I never assumed you know, he was really young. Never assumed him to, to climb the ladder that quickly, but it just happened with Herrick, Jim Herrick being fired. So, yeah, so I made a tone turn to my wife, said, no, I got to do it. I, I got to get back in college coaching. And uh, and Lavin said, come on out, you know, get out of here as fast as you can. So, uh, I at the time, unfortunately, it, it, this, this profession isn't uh, the, the uh, what I want to say at the most, uh, relationship friendly profession, especially for <laughs> marriages. But uh, right. at the time was a small town girl and wanted no part of Los Angeles. Uh, she said, why don't you go out there and try it? And, you know, maybe I'll come out later. One of those things and we'll try living apart for a while. So I got out to Los Angeles and uh, Lavin took great care of me. Uh, at the time, we didn't even have a position. He just knew he was going to give me something. And, and sure enough, this is, again, to show you how old I am. I've been long in the profession. The director of basketball operations position, which is, I think they call it the Dobo now or whatever the, the yeah. acronym is, those were just starting out. So UCLA didn't even have a director of basketball operations yet. I think the only – I may be wrong, but because when they added the position, the athlete, Lavin said, I'm going to make you my director of basketball operations. I said, fantastic. absolutely love it. And – uh at uh, UCLA. So the athletic director tells me, says, Jamie, I want you to call Duke and North Carolina because I think those are the only few schools that had a director of basketball operations at that time. He says, call them and figure out what they're paying their director of operations and we'll figure out what we're going to pay you. You know, so that's how it started. That's how that position started for me at UCLA. And, and uh, I spent six year, unbelievable years there with Steve Lavin. I mean, that's it. 10 hour phone call, just talking about UCLA and the people I met every other two weeks, I'd go out to John Wooden's house. I'd bring mail out to John Wooden and <laughs> visit with him and talk about every possible story under the sun from mother Teresa to the two, two, one press to Abe Lincoln. I mean, you're all over the place with this guy. He is such an amazing, amazing man. And I had a great opportunity to spend so many hours with him in his apartment and I uh, was really fortunate to also have so many of my friends come out to Los Angeles and visit and also get a chance to come out to his apartment and, and meet John Wooden. So to, to this day, I still get a lot of, you know, notes and emails now and then say, hey, coach, I just, you know, I was just thinking back about the time you introduced me to Wooden and I really. Showtime. Yeah, a huge Pat Riley fan and Showtime and Magic and Jamal Wilkes and, you know, the whole gang. And, uh, and I had had the opportunity in my career to actually work at Pat Riley's camp, which is amazing for me. I was in awe the whole time. 
but one or two nights at Lavin's house, I'm staying with him now till we get the director of operations position and my salary figured out. Knock at the door. It's Jamal Wilkes with a box of cigars and a couple bottles of wine from the from the you know <laughs> from Laker fame. And I am just like, oh my god! So Jamal comes in and we're sitting around and I can bear. I'm I'm sitting there stomping my foot, just tapping my foot because I want to get out of there and get on the phone and start calling everybody I know that. You know, I'm having a cigar and some wine, which I don't like either, but I don't care. I'm having them with Jamal Wilkes, and I just want to call everybody I ever knew, you know. Like, this is unbelievable, but little did I know that this was just the beginning, you know. I mean, it's just John Wooden and all these, it's, it just never ended. But Jerry West, our connection with UCLA and the Lakers was amazing. We'd get them tickets, they'd give us tickets, and just the access that UCLA provided was, was just unbelievable to celebrities and TV show tapings. And I could just go on and on and on the different things that uh, were made available to me, uh, you know, aside from basketball. So it was just an unbelievable six year run uh, in Westwood that I'll just never, ever forget. I'll always be appreciative of Steve Lavin for giving me that opportunity. Um, you with me, Kim? I am. I am coach. Here's this is the downside, and this and I, you kind of touched on a little earlier about working your way up the ladder and being good to people and staying in touch. And I was doing a great job of that, but unfortunately, the thing, and I think you might even mention it when you when when I got to UCLA, I think you mentioned something about you know you made it, you got to the top, you know you're at UCLA, and that's exactly how I felt, and it was the wrong, it was the dumbest thing I could have ever done. I I just I. I I said, this is it. I, I don't need a network anymore. I'm going to be able to pick and choose my jobs. I'm going to fall. Lavin's going to go to the NBA. I'm going to go with him. If he gets fired at UCLA, we're going somewhere else. I'm set, you know. This is my mindset in my, what I'm telling myself every day now. And, uh, you know, going on year three, four, five. And, and I just stopped staying in touch. I stopped calling people that I've always known and, you know, to help try to get up the profession. You know, I just basically shut down and started just thinking about myself and my own career and what I was going to have, you know, laid out in front of me because of UCLA. And uh, it was one of the biggest mistakes. I regret it to this day because after six years, when Steve Lavin got fired, uh, I'm picking up the phone looking for. You kind of lost that, that really that, I guess you were saying maybe that humility and hunger. Yep. Right. Uh, is that is that is that accurate? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I just felt I had it made being at UCLA. I felt they were going to use the four letters of UCLA would open any door, any job for me the rest of my life. That I would be set. You know, and all these great people I was meeting. You know, I got John Wooden uh, as a reference. How am I not going to get a job? You know, so I just I stopped connecting with the people that I've known all my life, and I felt I knew something. It just didn't feel right, but. Sure enough, when Lavin gets fired after six years, now I pick up the phone and I'm looking for a And uh, those people are saying, like, hey, where you been? You know, sure. And uh, sure enough, it, it was tough. Learned a valuable, valuable lesson. You know, what you may think is the top. You can never forget that's an old thing those people on the way up, you know, because you're going to be seeing them on the way down at some point. But, 
so that I really learned a valuable lesson and it was tough for me to get a job. And, uh, Steve Labba went into broadcasting. It wasn't exactly, him, even though he wanted me to, he wanted me to join him as a, I forget what job he called it. He wanted to be his, the guy that would do all the research and help him with his research and the college basketball opponents. But it's something that I didn't want to do. And, uh, the only job available to me was coaching professionally overseas. And uh, there was a team in the country of Qatar, Qatar called El Rayon, who some of our UCLA players had played on in the past. And they connected me with the management. And uh, so after about a year, and I think I was on the board. I took a job in Qatar, the Middle East. And uh, well, good paying job. I mean, you coach basketball for two hours. You give you a house, you give you a car. And uh, so that was a great experience. I was happy to get back into coaching, at least you know, pay, the, pay the bills. But uh, I also learned about coaching overseas. I've got a lot of friends now, especially on Facebook, that are successful overseas. It doesn't translate. Success overseas really doesn't translate to you getting a job back here in the States. They just don't value that success they can't put you know if you win a, a college national championship or you win a conference championship at the ACC they understand that but if you win a championship over in the Middle East you know they don't know you know how important that is or what value there is to that so I had tremendous success overseas you with me Kev yes I am yes sir I was my first year, I think I was 30, 39 and two or something like that. And we won the Asian championship and uh, I spent three years in Qatar and we won a ton of games and uh, had a great experience. I'm glad I did it. Would never do it again, but uh, it just was impossible to use that success over there to get back into coaching in the, in the college in the United States. And I, like I said, I know a lot of people that are in the same situation. That uh, it's just you know, there's nothing you can correlate to winning in the Middle East. But uh, it was a great experience, and I learned something then that I kind of knew all the way up through my coaching career. Is I hated being a head coach. I just absolutely hated it, Kevin. Hmm. I'll tell you why. I just I agonized, and you may be the same, or you know, I hope you're not as bad as I was. But I just agonized over everything. Every play, every practice, every relationship on the team. Did this person get along with that person? Are we going to have a, you know, uh, I was worried about what 